I just really want to focus on on the younger riders and you know giving them the opportunities to really see what mountain biking is about and you know not only what they can do on the bike but how the confidence that you gain on the bike can translate into your everyday life. Welcome to Trail Effect. I'm your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you'll hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. I often ask my guests about a famous failure, because success can be defined by a culmination of many failures. With that being said, I learned a good lesson about having backup audio for the backup audio, because we know technology isn't always rad. For this episode, technology definitely wasn't rad. The audio that was supposed to record via Squadcast never rendered for my guest, which means I didn't get the main audio for this interview. Upon contacting Squadcast, there was nothing they could do aside from providing me the backup audio, which quite honestly is less than ideal. But now I've been forced to figure out a way to capture backup audio for the backup audio, which is proving to be higher quality than the original audio provided by Squadcast. Regardless, the quest for learning and improving is never ending. Episode 71 features Dustin Schiltz of Dirt Peddlers, a youth mountain bike program based out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. It was great to sit down and record this interview with Dustin for a handful of reasons. We get into why Dustin has started the Dirt Peddlers program. Dustin also talks about the differences between the BICP and the PMBIA mountain bike coaching certification programs. Ultimately, the Dirt Peddlers program that Dustin has going on is a good one and should provide for some great storytelling and experiences for teenagers out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Celsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. Additional support for Trail Effect now comes from Giants Ridge Bike Park and Ride the Range in Northern Minnesota. Stay tuned for Volume 1 of the Range Report that will come out bi-monthly on Thursdays throughout the summer featuring Giants Ridge Bike Park, Redhead Bike Park, Tioga Trails, and Cuyuna Trails. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Dustin Schultz and Dirt Peddlers. Here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Dustin Schultz. Dustin Schultz, actually. Schultz. I got. I keep, okay. We're gonna redo that then. I keep thinking the beer. Oh, dude. Every <laughs> any any event that I have done in my life, I can guarantee you, I'll come across the finish line, and somebody's gonna be like, "We love your beer," and here comes Dustin Schlitz, and I'm like, "All right, you got it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and living in Lacrosse, as you know, that's a huge oh, yeah. beer totally. community. So yeah, it's understandable. So, we have Dustin Schultz of Dirt Peddlers. Dustin is based out of the greater Minneapolis, St. Paul area. He specializes in youth day and multi-day trips with age ranges from 12 to 17. 
And from what I can tell, he really focuses towards the uh, gravity and enduro side of things, which is good to see coming out of the upper Midwest, because a lot of people focus on what we have an abundance of, which is cross country, you know, and it, and as we, as we get more purpose-built trail and more opportunities come online, we get more avenues of enduro and gravity. So that's really good to, to see in here. And you also help out with the, the Lopet Foundation which I want to get into that as well a little bit, but let's hear who you are, your backstory, and kind of what brought you to where you are now. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for having me, Josh. Um, yeah. So I, the owner lead guide of Dirt Peddlers, which as you said, is a Minnesota-based mountain bike program that specializes in uh, youth day trip and camps that will build skill, confidence, and community among the future generation of riders. Yes, I've been riding for probably 20 some years with a, a break before that, but yeah, just kind of came, I've always been in the more aggressive trail riding mindset. But as you stated, when I first started riding around Minneapolis here in the early 2000s, there was just wishful, you know, thinking. You have a little kicker off the side that's like maybe a five foot jump and you would get super excited about it. So then I took a brief detour into uh, the endurance events like your uh, Lutzen 99ers, your Schwamigan 40s, your level 100 type races. Alamanzo was in there just because it was it was kind of something different. You know, it was right before the the more gravity centered trail building boom. Uh, kicked off. And once that started, uh, I I've came back to my roots and it's been amazing to see everything flourish and the communities really get behind it just because they see the economic benefit um, these trailheads can have. And so it's, in my opinion, we're living in the golden age of mountain biking because I feel like all disciplines of mountain biking are becoming more accessible to everybody. So I'm I'm very excited with where trail building is going and hopefully what I can do to bring the future generation, uh, you know, into it. Yeah. And you, you alluded to some lifetime events and prior to starting dirt peddlers, you worked for lifetime. Do you want to maybe talk about your previous profession and yeah, sure. So I spent about 20 years in advertising working agency side and lifetime was my first in-house foray into the creative internal agencies and what was great about that was that it for the first time in my life i felt like my vocation my passion and then how i could help community all came together because i could get paid to help make creative inspired people to come and do these life-changing events and when you work and help produce these events, it's, it's pretty much a grind through the season. Like you are working a lot of hours and then you're going to like do help produce the event. And it all becomes worth it when you see these life moments of like somebody who you could see they dedicated a year of training across that finish line and their family's there and all this. It's just a life moment that you kind of feel like you help create for them. It was, it's just inspiring to see that, that moment of change. And then the management of lifetime athletic events changed, which kind of dissolved the creative unit I was in. 
And so I jumped back to agency side and just there wasn't that fulfillment there anymore. It was like, why am I doing this? And so I was basically on a six-year journey of trying to figure out where I could find that sense of fulfillment again. And uh, a manager of mine at the agency wanted me to sort of work up the creative ladder and you know lead a team. And I was like, I don't know about really leading creatives because they're kind of a different breed if you've ever uh, you know dealt with a creative mindset. And then I was always kind of like, I don't know if I have the people skills, like I can do the creative, but it's like the leading thing is a totally something else in my opinion. You know, making creative is one thing, but inspiring people to make that creative is something totally different. And so we landed on me kind of taking a, just dipping my toe in this idea of managing personalities. And since I like, you know, love mountain biking, he's like, well, why don't we, you know, why don't you do something with that? Where maybe you instruct or teach or something. And we kind of took that plan as like how I might find, you know, a passion for leading people and then obviously get promoted up into leading a creative team. And so I got my certifications through my first one through uh, PMBIA, um, which was a really great experience down in Atlanta or near, near Atlanta, down in Georgia, Mulberry Gap uh, specifically. And uh, it just kind of really opened my eyes to the technique and what goes into riding and how once you have those, those tools in your pocket, it makes riding new features and things much more, I won't say easy, but it's more digestible because you feel that you can critically think about them as a unit. Like, oh, I need to take this, you know, body position and apply it to this uh, sort of maneuver. And I feel like you can critically think about it as a process versus like, well, I don't know if I can do that or not. You know, I hope I can do it. And so that's where once I gained that knowledge and then through riding with friends, you know, we get to these certain features and they'd be stuck on it. And um, I'd be like, well, I can, I can show you, I can do it again. And they're like, cool. And then I started walking them through uh, applying my knowledge of bike, you know, skills and helping them get through it and seeing them light up when they clean something was like, wow, that was, it's a great feeling for me. Right. It was weird. It was like, it was almost like I did the feature for the first time again. You know, and that excitement that they uh, felt was, you know, shared by, by me. And so then I, I found the uh, Lopit Foundation had a program called Lopit Cycle Works. And I got involved with them in 2019 as an instructor. And the excitement I saw from my riding friends, like, doubled when I saw kids complete these things that were in their mind just unattainable and helping them get through it and giving them the knowledge to empower them on the trail to do these things was is a really great um so yeah i've been working with the lopit uh, foundation since 2019 and uh i kind of saw the need for kids to get out of the metro because i'd have a lot of these kids come i'd instruct them for a few weeks and they just kind of tap out like they'd be like i've been to theo i wrote everything at theo like there's only so far that you can take somebody's skills there, which is great. Like I love Theo. Don't get me wrong. I love that all the trails that we have around the Metro, they're a great resource. You'll be hard pressed to find another uh, urban area with the trail accessibility that we have. 
But so after uh, a couple seasons of just seeing the the drop off rate for these these kids, I was like, man, there's got to be a way to keep them sort of inspired. And you know, you're thinking you're doing wheel lifts and level lifts and cornering drills at Theo. It's great, but what is why? Right? You can go and corner like Theo really well. And so uh, back in 2020, it's like, well, these kids just need a way to get to these trails. I mean, we have all these premier trails popping up regionally, and it's amazing like what, what we have. And they all have a little different spice factor to them, which is great. They just need to get there and to really expose them to the type of riding that for me, it's like a lifelong passion because you can always get better at something, right? And so that, that's where the, the genesis of Dirt Peddlers came from as a, a service to take these you know, young riders to places like Duluth, Giants Ridge, you know, Cuyuna, you know, you know, even South Lacrosse, Levis Trow, and just to show them what we have to ride here and why we practice those things here in Minneapolis and what they can do when we take them other places. Yeah, we're going to detour into a couple places before we get back on track. Okay, sorry. One of the, no, this is good. Uh, it's because of what you're saying. It's, you're, you're opening up parts of this conversation that I didn't have listed. Sweet. And let's go into what the Lopet Foundation is, because to a lot of people, they're not going to be familiar with what that is. And sure. I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised when they find out what it is. Yeah. Um, Lopet Foundation, I believe, is in their 20th or 21st year. They're a foundation that's uh, right at the north end of the Theo Worth sort of park. And what they do is they, their whole mission is to get people outside. Uh, Lopet, I believe, is a Scandinavian word that translates loosely into uh, travel over rough ground. So that directly translates to trail running and more so cross-country skiing is their big, uh, what they were predominantly founded in. Um, if you've ever heard of the uh, City of Lakes Lopet, that is their event that they have every year. And so as they've picked up steam uh, with cross-country skiing and orienteering, they've uh, wanted to expand their offerings to uh, you know cycling of all types and uh, trail running, running as well. Um, and they, they have a big emphasis on getting kids outdoors, um, which is really great, especially, you know, uh, you go there, you know, July on like uh, around one or two in the afternoon and you'd be blown away by the amount of little kids running around, riding bikes. And it's just like, this is amazing. Like, this is so cool that these kids have this place to come to that is contained in this nice little footprint uh, around the trailhead there that they can work on this stuff and get, you know, the skills that they need to hopefully grow up with these lifelong passions that will keep them active and outdoors and healthy. So yeah, it's, it's a great organization. I really believe in their mission and I love helping them out and, uh, yeah, they they do a great job. Yeah. And the other thing that you hit on there, which is going to become more prominent, um, as we roll forward with additional episodes of this podcast is the regional trails around Minnesota specifically, like Minnesota some people know this, a lot of people might not, but Minnesota has really taken the lead in the upper Midwest as becoming like the mountain bike predominant 
state. Yeah. And at a state, at a state level. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, so I know NICA, you know, is great for getting high schoolers involved and giving them an organization, you know, to be involved in. And when I started looking at the numbers, like our NICA program is only second to Colorado, which is mind blowing. You know, like Colorado is like mountain biking Mecca. And to, to say, to think that we're ahead, you know, in their tier is amazing. And we went out to the U.S. National Mountain Bike Championship out in the Lopet uh, Cycle Works did in 2019. And the, the kids placed amazingly well for Flatlanders. And like we, they were racing against the Bear National team and, you know, Durango Devo team. And we had a couple of kids come in top 10 in there. And it was like, this is amazing. Like, this is the future. And it's like, that was more, a lot of those kids were riding more the uh, cross-country focused aspect of it. I, I had the fortunate opportunity to guide one of the riders through the, their first ever enduro, which was the U.S. National Enduro Championship, which, I mean, you're not just dipping your toe into that format. You're just jumping, you know, straight into the lake, the deep end, you know, racing at 10,000 feet. Um, and that was a great experience just to, to show him, you know, the community, the energy, especially in that enduro format. Um, and how it can racing can be a very fun, you know, I know some people think like the cross country format's fun and it's great. It can be fun, but the enduro format, I feel is just more laid back. It's more approachable. It's, it's more like a day just riding with your buddies. And so that's why, uh, I really love that format and just that type of riding in general. Yeah. And, and tagging on to the enduro format, you know, my, like you, I've spent a lot of time on the cross country side of things. Um, in a previous life I did do gravity stuff, but this was back in the nineties when gravity was a whole different thing than it is now. Yeah. And then I've recently gotten back into more gravity stuff and really started to look at enduro to get out of endurance, but still have those day long bike rides that we enjoy. Yep. Right. And so it's, it, it's a format that I'm glad it's taking off. I hope we get to see more events pop up in the upper Midwest. I know there's already a good, good host of events, but we have some more venues that could use events like that. And I'm thinking one of those events or one of those venues is Giants Ridge. You know, Giants Ridge is a great venue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially with the newer, uh, the trail that doesn't have a name yet. I mean, that's a great, you know, line that, ha that has a mix of technical aspects to it and the nice jump line that they have there. Um, yeah, I mean, they have easily five, five stages right there that they could, they could run. Um, and it would be a great, great event. Well, we're going to get back on track with Dirt Peddlers and Dustin. Yep. You, uh, you've alluded to the fact that you've gone into, you started Dirt Peddlers. Well, let's, let's, let's go into the journey of your mindset and starting Dirt Peddlers first. And then I want to get backtrack into the whole coaching and instruction side of things. Yeah. So I guess I'll start way back. Um, my brother is eight years older than me. And so when I was growing up, he had his uh, bike posse when Rad and all those movies came out. So they were big into BMX. And they had all their BMX bikes. And I was just like the little runt of the group. You know, they, they probably had 10 of them that would just go out and cruise around Sparta, uh, Wisconsin. And because I was a little runt, I was the guinea pig for everything, right? They, they were kind of like, I don't know if we should hit that. And they're like, uh, get, get Dustin to do it. Right. And obviously I did it to belong. 
you know, and it was like, well, I better do it. I got a, I got a show, you know, I can hang with them. And so I was always putting myself in these crazy situations where jumping off like little bridge culverts into ditches and stuff like that. And they're like, whoa, you know, and then they didn't even do it. They, they'd kind of let me guinea pig it. And so that, that kind of, I think back to that. And I think that's where a lot of my mindset from for doing that type, this type of riding, like I've been in big into snowboarding my whole life as well. And just that, that idea of always pushing myself somehow, um, getting in that, that sort of out of my comfort zone and dealing with that sense of fear almost and being able to work with it and sometimes use that energy for good, like for your ability to do something is really, is really interesting to me. And that's why I love this type of riding because I can find myself there a lot. And when you break through, it's an amazing feeling to finally do something that, uh, you know, it's maybe taking you three years to work up to. Right. And so that was my, that was my childhood. Uh, always trying to chase my brother and his friends around on bikes, took a slight break from bike riding as I got more into snowboarding, snowboarded quite a bit. And when I was living in Madison, we had Tyro Basin there, which uh, always had a very stellar park. Like their park was amazing uh, for, you know, being in Madison. And I always found myself every summer kind of losing that air awareness, that, that sense of, you know, that feeling like I'm, I'm near uh, that sense of fear, right? And dealing with it. And so I got back into mountain biking uh, to sort of keep my, my head in the game, I guess. And so when I came back, would come back after the summer to snowboarding again, like I would be kind of in it still. I would sort of have the, the mental game still sharp. And then it's funny because then all of a sudden mountain biking started taking over. And I just started getting more into mountain biking just because of the access. Like it's easy to you buy a bike and most trails like are free, you know, free in quotation marks. But you can just you know, buy the bike and show up and ride it. And so that, that sort of started to take over. And then just got more into mountain biking into that. And then the coaching thing kind of popped up uh, back in about 2018. And that's when it kind of opened up my eyes into, you know, what dirt peddlers could be. Because as I was growing up, especially here in Minneapolis, like you'd go ride Theo you know, back in the early 2000s. And it was like, cool, Theo, it's like a cross country, you know, track. Um, it's great for what it is and where it's at. But then you'd go down to Red Wing, where they actually had a legit downhill uh, run. And I'd be like, cool, I can't wait to get down there. And you go down there and you're like, what? look at these jumps. Like, these are massive, you know? And it's like, I've never rode anything close to this. And it was, it was kind of like that feeling that, I wish somebody was here to show me how to do this, or I wish there was some progression, you know, cause it was, it was like from the you know shallow end straight off to the 20 foot eyed diving board, you know? And I was like, where, where, how do I even get to this level? And so that's something I've always wanted from mountain biking in general. And uh, I guess as I got into coaching, I'm like, well, this would be a great, like, could be almost a Sherpa for the, the future generation. To, so they don't have to go through all the bumps and bruises, you know, and like bruised egos that I went through 
as a rider, you know, coming up and just being like, well, I don't even know. I've never like, why is this jump flatter and that jump steeper? How do you even, you know, do that? Like they look completely different. Like I try to hit one, the steeper one, and it just doesn't make any sense. Right. And so that was kind of the genesis of dirt peddlers. And then just kind of the fulfillment that I get seeing younger riders over, overcome their, their fears and help them, you know, do things that they didn't even think they could do is, is pretty, pretty great. Yeah. Let's, you've already talked about a trip you took to winter park in 2019 mm-hmm. prior to, uh, the 2020 shutdown. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Let's give some examples of some of the trips you've done so far and some of the trips you have planned upcoming in 2022. Sure. Uh, well, this Dirt Pedal is actually launching this spring. It was supposed to launch last year, well, the year before, but it's been like on a two-year hiatus, no, like delay, not even hiatus. First, I got the, the business plan approved by the bank, and then I go to order the van. And they're like, no van for you. Don't have microchips. So... It's been kind of it's been kind of one hurdle after the next, where it's been like, should I even keep on doing this? Is the world trying to tell me something? Um, but I push forward anyway. Um, and so this is the actual first year of uh, anything dirt peddlers. But in the past, with the Lopet Cycle Works, I've you know done the Nationals trip. Uh, we've done some Duluth camps where we go up to Duluth and ride Spirit Mountain. Uh, we'll do Piedmont. We'll do like the Traverse out and back. And so, but coming this year, uh, we have some day trips to Duluth. We have day trips to Giants Ridge. We will have some Duluth camps. We are planning on going back to the U.S. National Championship out there in Winter Park again, just because it's such a great event. Even if our riders don't want to race necessarily, the energy there of just all these young riders that are just so stoked to be like riding Winter Park. Um, is great. It's, it's a, I think it's a almost sort of like a, a life moment, I feel could be for some of these young riders in experiencing that and just how that can propel them to like, wow, this is, I mean, look at the community, like across the, the country, like all these people are really stoked on this type of riding and, you know, what mountain biking is. And so that trip I'm really looking forward to um, in July. And then after that, we will uh, have some other day trips to Cayuna as well at Redhead. There might be a camp where we possibly stay in Bowabic there, and that will give us the ability to hit Giants Ridge one or two days and then go over to Redhead, kind of give them a, a look at what lift access is like versus what the more pedally uh, trail systems they got going in that area are like. Yeah. So. With that, I've noticed that it's all inclusive. You also talk about, you know, having food and try to really make it so it's easy. I don't want to say easy because we don't do this for easy. Yeah. I mean, we mountain bike because it's difficult, right? We don't, we didn't get into it because it was easy. Yeah. But to take some of the thought out of the planning, I guess. Yeah. So the idea is that the parents would sign their, their riders up for this. And once they sign them up and get registered, Everything's taken care of from that point. Um, the van, I can carry 13 bikes plus cargo. Uh, most trips will be limited to eight riders because I want to keep that coach to rider ratio low. So it's a very quality driven experience, not quantity. You know, that's one thing. It's like I see some, a lot of 
uh, instruction outfits, they need to go for quantity just because you got to do it at, you know, to pay the bills. But I kind of want to focus on delivering an experience where they walk away having learned something, whether it's mountain biking or just life in general. So kind of, I kind of trailed off there a little bit. All inclusive and food. So yes, all inclusive, uh, all the food, lodging and transportation is taken care of. Uh, the dirt peddlers van can carry 13 bikes total plus cargo. Um, I will typically cap the riders that can register at about eight. And then I will have myself as a lead instructor with another instructor and then potentially a parent chaperone of sorts to help um, herd the cats, if you will. And so, yep, they'll hop in the van. And as once we're off, we're off and everything will be taken care of. We'll have uh, uh, coolers in the van, transporting our food and snacks and stuff like that. And that's even included for the day trips, you know, bring sandwiches or beverages, chips, snacks, just keep people hydrated and fed so they keep their energy levels up. But yeah, I just want to make it as easy as possible to get kids to these, these uh, riding destinations and uh, you know, make it awesome. You're kind of making me wish I was a kid again. Yeah, I have. I was, a was under the age of 18. <laughs> yeah, it's like once, once you hit, yeah, once you, it's, it's about 12 to 17. And I have a lot of adults being like, are you going to start doing adult stuff? And I'm like, I need to just focus on like, to me, what I feel is the most important. And then, you know, when, once there's maybe a point in time where there's somebody other than me leading everything, that might be a possibility, but I just really want to focus on, on the younger riders and, you know, giving them the opportunities to really see what mountain biking is about. And, you know, not only what they can do on the bike, but how the confidence that you gain on the bike can translate into your everyday life. I guess for me personally, I was always very, I am, I am an introverted individual, very not great at public speaking. Um, and so when in advertising, you have to pitch, right? You have to pitch a lot of ideas to the clients, um, to your creative director. And that was one thing I always kind of struggled with. I didn't bring the energy to it. Like I knew what I was talking about, but I would just kind of be low watts. And, you know, like, oh, oh, and people like, man, you gotta, you gotta like bring some, bring some excitement to it because like, you love this idea. Right. And I was like, well, yeah, I do. And they're like, that's the excitement you need to, to like show. And I'm like, I know it's, and so it's actually when I started doing those long distance, like hundred milers and stuff like that, that I really started to find that translated into confidence in those situations, which was really weird. Cause you wouldn't expect to be like, so doing all the stuff on the bike over here is going to give me confidence to go speak in front of a room of 50 people. And I'm, it's like, and it's amazing. It's like, it does because you start to look at things differently. You're like, I just rode my bike for 12 hours in the mountains. What's standing in front of 50 people talking to them about something I know about, you know? And the same thing with like, even riding some of these technical features. It's like, I just threw myself off a, you know, a 20 foot road gap. I got through that. Like standing in front of these people is not is not a big deal anymore, right? And so that that's also something very interesting that I find happens with some of these kids as I as I work with them a bit. They start to open up more as they as they progress in their riding, which is very cool to see. 
And hopefully it has, you know, the positive outcomes that it had for me, for them. Yeah. And with that, you know, we talked about coaching certification, but I want to talk about other certifications that don't necessarily aren't coaching specific, but are not, not I'm not going to say necessary, but helpful mm-hmm. to have with this. Cause I know, I noticed that you're also wilderness first aid certified as you know, so you're bringing skills into the woods to help people. Yeah. I'm actually a wilderness first responder which uh, the difference between the two is a first aid, a wilderness first aid is a, like a two or three day weekend thing. Whereas the first responder, I go, I went to basically a 10 day boot camp over in Hudson. And it was like, I was back, you know, 12 again. I was sleeping in one of the, uh, the cabins with six or seven other people. And it was eating, sleeping and breathing first responder scenarios and just knowledge. And so it was, it was a very intense experience. Uh, by the third or fourth day, I called my wife and I was like, I don't know if I can complete this. Like, I feel like my brain is melting out of my ears because of all the information and just the scenarios that they run you through for these situations that you run into in the wilderness is intense. It is one of the most intense things I've ever done. In fact, the, they, they run you through, uh, two and a half hour scenario on your fifth day. And I was like, well, I'll just kind of get this one out of the way. I'll volunteer to be like the lead. And the lead is you're, you're kind of the person in charge, directing people what to do, to go get things, to you know, whatever effort might need to be done. You're managing that. And we were kind of waiting in this room and we got my team together. And all of a sudden they threw the doors open. And the instructor comes in and he gives us the lowdown on the situation. And it's, it was like this music festival had a, a deck collapse and people were trapped in this sort of structure. And on the second floor, there was somebody having a cardiac arrest. But in between the ground floor and up there, there were people screwing about in the stairwell. And my patient had a broken femur. Her leg was through like the railing. And my team said, I went within five minutes. It, I went from cool, calm and collected to looking like I had just run a marathon. I was sweating so bad, but they said I was, I was directing and, and performing very well, but they just said the, the intensity that I was showing was, was pretty crazy. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I sweat through my shirt completely um, in this scenario. And it was, it's something that was great because it, I think it really helps you prepare for the absolutely bizarre situations we can come across, you know, out doing these things outdoors. And then all this knowledge that I gained through that made me like wonder why it took me so long to do this because of everything I do. Like I've been backcountry snowboarding for 20 years. I've been mountain biking, you know, for 20 years, just off in the woods with myself or friends and never thought about, well, what happens? If you were to severely break your leg, you're 10 miles from anything, you know, or your buddy goes down with, you know, a a busted arm and he's knocked out, you know, what do you do? Do you have a plan? And so that's where I was like, wow, this is, I mean, this is some critical information that I, I feel, I personally feel anybody leading, like instructing or guiding way out in the wilderness should at minimum have the first responder. First aid is great uh, for your urban metro areas, but if you're if you're going to be out in the wilderness where you know you may be only 
you know, a few miles from the trailhead, those few miles when you're walking, you know, a litter out can turn into hours, you know, if help needs to get a litter to you, you know, that, that those five miles can become a very long five miles. And so uh, having the first responder certification gives me the ability to pair or care for that patient, you know, assess the situation, make decisions on what needs to be done. And then once we get that action, that plan of action going, make sure that patient uh, stays comfortable and calm and, you know, yes. You know, it's, it's interesting because before we hit record, those that are listening to this don't know about this because it was prior to being recorded. We were talking about a trail in, in lacrosse known as Jedi. Yeah. And that's a trail that I, that I helped spearhead. And it's also a trail that I have been emergency evacuated off of. Oh, really? And for what most would consider one of the most benign things. Okay. Which is leading trail work. So no riding involved, no bikes. Leading trail work. Last August, I was doing some digging myself. I hit a, a ground wasps ground wasps nest. I can't say that that well. And I didn't know I was allergic to wasps. Oh, wow. And I got lit up. Yep. On multiple parts of my body, multiple things. And within minutes, I had like no blood pressure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of those things that, uh, that's one of the first things I ask anybody, you know, coming that, that's on my waiver. Like, do you have any allergies? If you do, do you, are you carrying your EpiPen? Right. What is your, what is your plan typically when you do like run into that? Like how bad is it? What happens uh, beyond getting you away from whatever that allergen is? Like, you know, what is your typical plan of action is, is critical. Cause I mean, that stuff can quickly turn into a life or death situation, which, you know, you don't think about. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things where you don't think about how quickly things can go sideways in the wilderness and they, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's good. I'm glad that I I took that first responder certification and I have it, but it has really opened my eyes to the level of risk that we all deal with when we go out to those places. And I mean, risk is a part of life. Like you get out of bed, you're facing risk. So my job is to manage that risk and mitigate it where I can. And if something does go wrong, uh, well, then I at least have the knowledge of how to get things fixed or get you know an action plan in place and moving so we can get the person the care as quickly as possible. Yeah. And you, I mean, you know that Jedi is not a long trail. No. I, I tried on my own power. I had people with me, but I tried on my own power to walk out. And really? because I had no blood pressure and I had stopped a couple times, I got like, we we're almost at the bottom when it happened. I got about two thirds of the way up and it took a while. Mm-hmm. And then I finally I had a cell phone in my pocket. I had enough in mental acuity to dial 911 and hand the phone to somebody else and said, you got to take it from here. Yeah. And it was funny because I was joking with once EMS or like everyone showed up from the, it was, it made the newspaper. It was, it was pretty, it's actually pretty interesting, pretty funny, really. But like, I, we, we had talked internally with Aura and with some other friends about how we really should be getting our fire department, you know, the, the emergency rescue side of things, training at, in our local trail system. Mm-hmm. And so after I got, um, after I was stabilized, they had me on oxygen and everything else and gave me epinephrine 
And they're hauling me out. The emergency people were, I was, we were kind of joking that like, this was their training scenario. Oh, really? And, like it just organically formed into their, their training for how to right. you know, evac somebody out of upper Hickson in lacrosse, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that's also something. Um, so I just got my research for my wilderness first responder, I think two weekends ago. And it actually made me think about um, going for the instructor aspect of that and bringing, cause I, I was talking to the instructors. I'm like, they were both from out of town. And I was like, well, is there nobody in Minneapolis area to teach this stuff? And they're like, no. And I was like, it's just with, with how, I guess in love with the outdoors we are, it's a, I'm, it blew me away. And I was like, well, this, I mean, this needs to be something that like needs to happen. And then I was uh, briefly talking to the Lopa foundation. And if I got that, that could be something that we could run at the trailhead. Right. And give everybody the ability to at least get wilderness first aid. Right. You know, I mean, this, my belief is this is stuff we should be teaching kids in high school, like basic life-saving, you know, procedures and how to, how to, you know, save a life or just at least make somebody's situation better until uh, somebody can get there who does have the capability to, to fix the, the situation. But. Yeah. It's, that is interesting. And I would, I would guess that the people that did instruct you are probably either were professionally in an EMS type of background or actually still do that type of work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had to take fall protection training um, through my professional stuff at DOT be, due to bridge inspection stuff that I would, that I formerly used to do, mm-hmm. you know, and those instructors were firefighters, active firefighters that actually came out of, out of Duluth. Okay. You know, and they travel the upper Midwest giving that type of training. They're actually climbers. Like they're huge into oh, right. climbing yeah. and that fall protection is all based on rappelling and, and how to, you know, what to do if right. you were to fall from a structure. Yeah. You know, so I would, that's, and that's a, that's a very important thing. And they're, they're just, I guess my point is there just aren't enough instructors. Like you just said. Yeah. It, it, it blew me away. Like I was like, Oh, and I even asked him like, so why are you guys, you know, one was from like the Southwest and one was from, I believe Madison. I was like, why are you get, like, what made you come to Minneapolis? And they're like, well, there's no other instructors here. Oh, well, that's bizarre. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. just gave me another, another thing to kind of, maybe that's something we need to, to have more of a impact with here. So in a community of over a million people. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's even Theo Worth. Like there's, there are sections of Theo Worth, Lebanon, Murphy, you know, all these local trails that if you get far enough out, and something really bad happens, it could be really bad, right? Yeah. So, you know, even though we are close to an urban center, there's a lot of uh, sort of critical thinking that needs to happen and knowledge you need to have to, to address the situation and figure it out. Let's go back into the coaching certification stuff. I noticed you are both BCIP and PMBIA certified. And those stand for Bicycle Instructor Certification Program and Professional Mountain Bike Instructor Association. Yep. I know more about the, the BICP than I do uh, PMBIA. <laughs> but let's talk about those certifications and maybe maybe you can kind of cro- contrast them a little bit or talk about what, you know, what the differences are maybe, in a, especially for somebody that might be interested in gaining that type of certification. Yeah. 
So my first uh, certification was through uh, PMBIA, and that is uh, Whistler's certification program. It actually was born out of their ZEP mountain bike uh, camps that they, they run there in the summer. And for me, it, I just like that because associated Whistler, I mean, any place where the level of riding is like that and they're instructing, you got to figure it, it carries with it a ton of credibility and a ton of knowledge of what they're doing and the processes that they have in place. So that one, I'm level one certified. I'm actually going to Whistler end of May to get my level two certification uh, in the air program. They have two different uh, tracks. Once you get into level two, you can go air and or trail. Um, I chose the air portion of that for this particular certification. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that and what the knowledge that I can bring back learning, you know, how to jump properly on, you know, like crab apple and stuff like that will be phenomenal. And then the BICP is IMBA's associated bike certification program, which I believe they kind of, I think their collaboration started like a year or two ago. I believe it was about 2020 when they kind of took them on. And they both have their strengths uh, and weaknesses. I feel a lot of the language that is found in the BICP is more memorable. They have a lot of acronyms, which are, are super helpful, uh, especially when you need to boil things down to if somebody's going to remember three things, like remember, you know, surge, soft pedal, shift, right? Three S's for like proper shift. Um, and so that's what I really like about the BICP's approach. Um, and as far as PMBIA, I just, I like how they have their skills sort of, I guess, sectioned off in what they consider introductory versus intermediate. Uh, I feel that PMBIA moves a little bit faster, gets people uh, up to uh, a higher riding level quicker. But I, I they also have a, a kids pro, uh, kids focused or youth focused curriculum which is uh, really nice to just have that knowledge and how to think, make things a little bit more fun. And so things aren't so data-driven where you're like, you know, like a robot, just, you know, barking orders to somebody like, do this, you know? So I, I, I like that approach as well uh, about the MBIA. So that, that's, I think, the biggest differences between them. Yeah, and it's, I think skills, I mean, we've already talked about, you know, the kid stuff and, and even a little bit about adult stuff, but it's, it's interesting. You know, because I think so many people think that they know how to ride a mountain bike. They don't really need to go to skills. Although I will say it is awesome to see that not only are more people thinking about getting skills, there's more instructors coming online too as the, as the sport continues to grow. Yeah. You know, so what's your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's almost like some people don't want to take a skills class because it's a, it's a strike against their ego. Oh, totally. And I've had the conversation with people and I've said like, I don't know. Olympians are still getting taught. Like, I don't think we're at that level. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's, I mean, if you look at like even the top riders, they all have their personal coaches that are helping them micro adjust, you know, things. And it's a lot of the times it's due to your own, as you said, ego. And then you start to get a little bit, cause you're like, your ego builds up. Well, I'm riding this, I'm riding that, you know? And then all of a sudden as that gets easier, your, you become a little bit lazier in your technique, right? Or your form. And so you got to have somebody come in and be like, you need, really need to like dial in your cornering a little bit there. Cause that's where you're losing, you know, you're losing control, you're losing speed. 
And so that's what I, I really love about it. But as far as coaching in general, uh, it is it is crazy beneficial. I mean, I I still go through uh, coaching sessions with people. A to have them take a look at what I'm doing, see if they see any flaws in my technique, which I can't see. Right? Um, it's amazing once you get a camera or a video camera on somebody and you show them what they're actually doing. They're like, really? And then it's like, yeah, we're working on bike body separation. Or we're exploring your range of motion, right, with your bike and how you move around it. You move side to side with it for you know fore and aft, and you know you, you even the simplest thing from your you know, neutral position to your ready position. And I'm like, get your chest down by your bars. Like, I want to see your chin like low. And people think they're getting low and they're only really dropping like four inches. And they're like, I'm set. I'm like, you're not set. Like, here, let me show you this video. And you show them a video and they're like, whoa, really? And I'm like, yeah, like the purpose of this is almost to take the movement to feeling awkward, right? Because then you know you're at the line. Right, you, you you've crossed that line into where oh that's maybe too low, but at least you know that range of motion is there. Now you know that's in your back pocket for when things you need that right. And so just having that awareness of that range of motion can really help you know a rider in a plethora of situations, right? Specifically for me in general, cornering like cornering on flat corners has been one of the things I've improved the most upon based on just my knowledge of how to do it now. And it's one thing I'm out there always thinking about now because it's so critical in, you know, making it through a lot of these wonky off camber turns that are just like, well, how does anybody even do that? Well, if you have the proper like, you know, form and technique, you can do it and you can do it fast. Right. I mean, before my first certification course, I was you know, oh, you always drop your you drop your outside foot on the corner, right? And I know like pedal position is a hotly debated topic. But once I started to really pay attention to cornering with level pedals, like cornering became so much easier because I had a stable foundation, right? You you drop that pedal and all of a sudden you're off balance. Like you're pushing the direction you don't want to be going in that corner, right? It doesn't make any sense. At least to me, I will have. I, I get into these discussions all the time about cornering. It's one of the things where you could have a two-hour discussion on it. Um, people just get fired up about it. But just having the awareness of like little things matter, right? And they make the the big things easier sometimes. You know, it's for yeah. I've never I've never taken any mountain bike certification certification coaching clinics, but I did spend a lot of years as both an alpine ski coach. And then kind of almost by accident got thrown into snowboard coaching as well early on in my ski coaching career because I had the background in both. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but like when I got, when I became a coach, all of a sudden my riding, both on a snowboard and my skiing on skis became better because you're now breaking down what you have to tell, in my case, kids, you know, the age group that you're talking about. Yep. You know, how to do something. And and when you're talking about getting low, like it's so funny when you tell somebody to get lower, mm -hmm. they do move like four inches. And you're like, but you're like that you didn't move at all, hardly. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just like having that self-awareness, you know, and just just knowing like, yeah, it, it's and it's what's great 
also is that, you know, when I go for rides, I'm always like self-evaluating, like thinking about this stuff on the trail, which is good for, you know, the riding, but it's also good just mentally to clear my brain of like the stresses of the day. So I actually focus on what I'm doing here and now and in the moment. And so that's another good benefit of having the knowledge, you know, of that type of thing. And always breaking down how certain areas on the trail, I could be like, oh, I could use this as a great, you know, great skill building session right here for, you know, front wheel lifts, you know, or rear wheel pivots. This would be great because you pop your front wheel off this thing, you pivot on your wheel up the root, right? And so, yeah, it's just like once you, once you get into the coaching or even if you've been through a coaching session, it'll just open your eyes to all these little things that make a huge difference, right? And just your confidence on the bike and moving through the trail. Yeah, for sure. We're going to move on to one of my probably favorite things to talk about, but I don't think my guests think it's that good. Okay. <laughs> it's something I actually stole from, from I think it was Tim Ferriss, because I listen to a lot of podcasts that actually have nothing to do with mountain biking. Some people might not believe that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like one of the things that I brought in more recent episodes is a famous failure and... When I explain that to people, I don't mean famous is like, oh, it made the news, but maybe something in your mind that was like an aha moment when you're doing something one way. And then it was like, it just sticks out as like needing to do a full 180. And because I, I do truly believe that everyone that's successful at what they do has had to experiment a lot. And those experiments don't always work and whatever that is. But yet they were a huge learning experience. Yeah. I mean, I 100% agree. Like, you have to fail to succeed, right? Because it's just the way life goes. So I, I think I have a few. I could go into one professionally first. So after I worked a lifetime in that situation, I left that situation. I decided to go uh, freelance, art director, designer for my own company. I thought it'd be great, right? Because... I knew how to, I knew how to, you know, make great creative. I knew how to talk to clients. I knew how to, you know, play all these different roles. And I got into it. And about three months in, the honeymoon was over. And I was realizing that, yeah, just because you're a good creative doesn't mean you don't need other people. Right? You know, all the project managers, all the uh, account managers and stuff that as a creative, you're always like, well, I could do that. That's not a big deal. You know, cause I make the creative, I make the thing that gets sold. Right. And so I got myself in that situation. And at that point I was almost running a full service agency by myself, which was like, I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is insane. Like I'm answering emails, taking client calls like eight to five. And then after that, I have to do the creative. Right. And so it was, I guess it was a real eye opener that you always do need other people like, and just being stuck in an office by yourself, being creative in a vacuum is not a good place to be. Like it's, it's a good place to like almost go a little mad because you're like, is this good? Is this not good? I don't know. You know, you have nobody to bounce an idea off of. And so I guess that would be a professional failure. Just kind of going out on my own thinking I could just, you know, run and gun by myself. And then as far as biking goes, there was a situation last summer where typically as an instructor, 
if I haven't done something before, like a feature or something like that, I don't do it with uh, the riders, right? It's just, you don't want to get caught up in a situation where you're like, yeah, we'll do that. And then you've never done it before and things go sideways. And then it's like, oh, coach is down, <laughs> you know? Um, so we were at this little, there's like this little rogue jump park that's on the north side of Theo, where they have like four or five little dirt jumps. You know, the, maybe the biggest one is five feet. And at the end of it, there's like this sort of return, like jump into this return berm. And we were looking at it and the kids were like, I think you, I think there's like a landing there. If you were to take it a little bit further, you know, if you really want to air it. And I was like, yeah, I've been looking at that myself, you know, for a while. I've been thinking about it, but I haven't done it, you know. And so the kids, the, the riders were doing the other jumps, you know, and they were, the energy was up and everybody's like, you know, getting stoked. And I was like, I got caught up in the stoke and I was like, I'll try it, you know? And so I was on my more, I was on my, I have a tall boy and, uh, from like my, tr- my cross country bike. And I was like, I'll give it a go. I, I should be able to pedal into that, you know, enough speed and did a test run. I'm like, definitely enough speed. Right. And. I went for it on the next go and totally there's no way you could get enough speed and case the landing, which, uh, ended up, you know, on a 110, you know, trail bike, you don't have much there to work with and basically shot me off my bike, ended up spraining my ankle, could walk it off and pedal, pedal back to the trailhead. But that, that sprained ankle basically laid me up for three weeks and then it's still not totally right. So I guess it really just confirmed the idea of, hey, if you haven't done something before, doing it in front of a bunch of young riders is not the place to do it. Um, so that was just a reinforcement of that, that lesson there. So Yeah. We're going to pivot into another, another area that I like to go into with all of my guests, which is mountain bike communities. And this is different for everybody, but it sounds like you travel and you like to travel. Yep. And you live in a place that has a pretty good urban setting. What in your mind makes a good mountain bike community or what are the things you look for when going to a mountain bike community? Um, well, I would say my personal place of solitude is Copper Harbor. Um, we are on the same page with that 110%. Like when I go there um, and you hit that, no, I forget what road it is, but once you hit it, your cell phone drops. And that I, I hope they never really get towers out there because that is one of the things I look forward to when I go there so much is that you are there. You have a singular focus when you get there, right? You usually, I normally camp out at Fort Wilkins. And so I park, I set up camp and then I don't drive my vehicle at all. Like I can bike wherever. I want it's usually even on the busy weekends there, which I'll hit every once in a while. Um, it's still relatively quiet. And when you go on one of the off weekends, it is amazing because you feel like you have this little place like to yourself, right? And the community there is really great. Uh, you know, at the general store, like they have a ton of stuff for you to easily get. Um, and it's, it's just, you're so focused on the moment there is what I love. You're not distracted by what's going on, you know, across the globe, uh, which you can't really do much about anyway. Right. And so you're just kind of living in the moment with, you know, 
if you've gone up there by yourself, you're just kind of, it's like that really great reflective time to really think about things. And, but if you go up there with a bunch of, you know, riding buddies, it's even better because everybody's present and the trails are phenomenal. Hopefully they will open the more phenomenal trails back up uh, this coming year, which sounds like uh, a few of them have been greenlit to go again, flying squirrel and uh, overflow with some rework. And animal. And animal. Yep. Yep. I'm still, I don't, I don't think downtown is going to come back. Unfortunately, that was one of my favorite trails, but I don't think that one's going to make it, but hopefully they can get something back there that has a level of tech tight riding again, where it's not just a full on, you know, two foot wide, you know, sort of flow trail that can blast down. I, I just really like that slow speed tech where it's like, you have to be focused. You have to be there. You have to be, really present on what you're doing but yeah just, just that level of, of solitude up there is amazing it's one i don't think there's any other place i've been in my life like that to be honest with you where it, it feels like that and it's it's amazing so that's kind of my jam i agree so much and i think i talk about copper harbor a lot with people you know, yeah. both on this podcast, but also in, in person. And I think people that haven't been there think I'm a little crazy, like, cause they don't know what it, I don't think they can wrap their head around what it actually is and what it could be based on its location. Right. And I, I think that's, that's, what's great about it is that, you know, when people are there, they had to go there. Like their purpose was to go there. It wasn't like, Oh, we're just driving through on a road trip and we're going to stop in here real quick. Like it's not easy to get there. And once you make the decision to go there, you're kind of committed and it's a ways to get there. Right. And so it's kind of, I think it's just like, it collects people of a similar mindset, which is great. And it's mostly people that just love to ride and love to get outdoors and, uh, you know, have fun on bikes. There's always a good, a good, uh, equation in my mind. Yeah. And their general store surprisingly has a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. It's a, it's amazing. Like the first time I went there, I'm like, Oh great. Like I don't need to bring half this stuff anymore. You know, I can, I can just roll up here with a bag, uh, a half full cooler to get me up here and I'm set. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it. I mean, Copper Harbor is, has been a huge inspiration for me personally and, and what we've done here in lacrosse and opened up my mind to a lot of different things. And so that is definitely my, that is my community as well. And that, and that's also something that I hope to, I guess, bring to light with the kids is that, you know, like what Aaron Rodgers is doing could be a profession. I mean, it is a profession, but it could be something they go into, right? I would love to set up these, what did I call them? Uh, it's basically like where the trail builder leads a guided ride and we stop at significant areas in their build process. And we talk about what they were thinking, how they did it, what they did. And kind of what they had to overcome to do it, maybe some mistakes they made that they would go back and fix. But uh, I think that could be an interesting foray for, or not foray, but it could lead kids to new ideas of what they could do for a vocation. Like there are so many things to do with trail building, you know, land advocacy uh, in the recreation, you know, space. There's there's a ton of opportunities. I guess showing them that would be pretty cool too. And just giving them the awareness of, 
you know, not every successful job is in an office at a desk. Um, you know, some things are pretty fulfilling when you're working with your hands outside. Yeah. And just that general problem solving ability. Yeah. I mean, you, you think about what they have to go through when you, they're laying like a, a track down, like they think they have it flagged, right? Oh, this would be perfect. Right. Well, then you build it and you're like, Whoa, Oh man, that doesn't work out. So now what do you do? You know, and maybe that was the keystone to the whole thing. You got to, you got to sort of rethink your signature part of the trail. Like, what do you do? You know, that it's, it's all that problem solving stuff that, that I really like as well. I think kind of gets into the coaching and instructing thing is giving the kids the toolkit to problem solve on the trail when they come to these features, right? And be able to do it in a way where they know what they're doing, but they also are self aware of their own capability, right? So they're not just, you know, hucking and praying, right? It's like, well, have I done something like this before? Okay, I've done something like this before. So what goes into that? Then they can, you know, step out the things they need to do to be successful in that situation. It's not, um, you know, I hope I do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they try the O-flow gap for the first time and come up short and blow their rear wheel and get bucked, you know, 20 feet down the trail. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we wrap this thing up, do you have any closing comments, words of wisdom, things we didn't discuss that you want to get into before we uh, wrap this thing up completely? Yeah, I guess I'm just really excited to see, you know, I like to call these young riders coming up the future shred. And I hope the future shred is Minnesotan or was, you know, Wasconian. Is that what, what is it? Wisconsin? We'll get across the border to do it because it's not, it's not as, yeah. as the opportunity isn't in, in Wisconsin quite yet. That's true. As abundantly as it is in Minnesota, at least. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope that I really want to, you know, showcase the talent that we have here in Minnesota. I, I see it, you know, on the local trails I go to. I know the appetite is there. The hunger is there from these kids to get out and ride. And they, they want to see these places. They want to experience these places. And um, hopefully I can show them what, what mountain biking can bring to their life. Uh, the community and people it can surround them with, and then just the sort of overall holistic sense of well-being it can provide from a social, mental, and physical standpoint. And yeah, I, in my head, I, I see dirt peddlers as being able to facilitate that. So um, here's crossing my fingers in the first season, and uh, it goes off with a hitch. Without a hitch. Without oh geez yeah it goes it goes off without a hitch. There you go. <laughs> Well, Dustin, thank you very much. Yeah, it was, no. it was a pleasure. And thank you for reaching out too. You know, this is, you know, it's as this journey of podcasting goes, it's been going, it's been going more of people reaching out to me versus me reaching out to them. And I really, I really appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I mean, I saw the Aaron Rodgers when you had pop up, you ever listen, I was like, oh, just because I, I mean, he, just what he's done has been, you know, really eye opening. Uh, I think for a lot of people. And I was like, well, maybe people, you know, we'll want to hear about what, uh, what we got in store, you know, for kids like programming and getting them up to speed on some of these trails. And so they can ride these trails safely, right? Not only just ride them, but ride them safely. So yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. It's been great and uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature Adam A. Adams, who is a newer mountain biker based out of the front range in Colorado and is the host of the podcast on podcasting. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others.
Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Giants Ridge Bike Park, and Ride the Range, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas in future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.